was uh, one of five children. My father and mother aren't with us in service today. They're still with us for those who do not know them, but they're not with us this morning. So I have more liberty this morning to talk, I feel like. But I, uh, there were five kids in my family. I don't know how many are here today. Whether any of my family, where are my brothers and sisters? Anyone here? No, I have a lot of liberty, okay? So what we say stays here. And what I say is truth then, because they can't defend themselves. Anyway, my brother Rob, as you know, Rob comes to church here, is the oldest. I have an older sister named Faye. I was the third. And then I have a younger sister named Laurie, and then my youngest sister named Jen. And uh, we grew up in an era of spankings. In fact, let me see if you guys, man, there's clapping for this. We grew up in an era of spankings and where respect was expected. Anybody else remember those time frames? And, and I grew up knowing that this had more uses than on a stovetop cooking. In fact, you know, if my mom held it a certain way, this is the way to stir things. This is a weapon, right? You understand that? Like, this is correction. This is when, like, mom is serious about something. Where it goes, Selwyn? Then it's, Selwyn? And I remember vividly in my mind what the wooden spoon was used for, and, and I don't remember it being used more with things than on my legs and my backside. Also, an area where belts were used for more than holding up your pants. And there are some people who need to understand that belts are used for holding up your pants today. But the interesting thing is this, right, as a belt, doesn't mean anything, right? This is just a belt. But this, all right, you can tell by the nervous laughter in here who understood what that meant, right? Right? And guys, there's a big difference between abuse and discipline. All right. I understand that these same things can be used as abuse, and that's just wrong. All right. But we grew up in a time where we were disciplined, and it wasn't abuse. And I knew that when I'd get in trouble, if my dad went for a thicker belt, I knew, okay, it wasn't going to be as bad, but the thin ones, they stung more. It's interesting to see the nervous reactions. Even now when I see it like this, my heart goes, ah, a little bit. But times were different back then, but I understood what discipline was. My dad's no meant no, and his yes meant yes, and there really wasn't a whole lot of leeway with that. My house wasn't a democracy. I didn't have a vote. It just didn't work that way, and I was I'm okay with that now. I think back then I wasn't okay with that. I thought my voice should be heard. I knew what my dad's uh, fierce glare at me would look like when we were in public. And I would push the limits because I would always push the limits in the safety of being in the public. But my, pierce, my dad's piercing eyes could communicate to me at a whole new level. I knew what he was saying. Many times as a child, at a brave time, or rather foolish time, I would attempt to test the limits and the boundaries that my parents had established, maybe to see if I could gain a little bit more. I remember one day, I'd listen to my friends, and they would talk to their parents, and they'd ask their parents for something, and, and their parents would say no, and then they would say, oh, please, and then they'd always seem to get somewhere with their parents, and their parents would be like, all right, so one day I thought, 
I'm going to give this a shot. And I'm sitting in the back seat of my dad. And I never forget this. I'm sitting in the back seat. And I was like, Dad, can we do this, this? He said, no. And so my friends were there. So I was like, all right, now is the perfect time. Come on, Dad, please. And I'll never forget the mirror. And I began to sink in the back seat. And then he adjusted the mirror so I couldn't sink away. Every time I attempted to uh, test those boundaries, I never won. But I knew, and I know my dad at that time in my life, too, of course today as well, he loved me. And he cared for me. And if I crossed the line, I would know him in his wrath. But I found security in the boundaries that he placed. I don't think I'm the only one in here like that, right? The security in boundaries. And I watched my dad, as imperfect as my dad was, because all dads are imperfect, but I watched him dare greatly to trust God for what seemed to be impossible. And I watched him lay earthly things aside and follow God. You know, as a kid, I was always into something. They would say that Next to Selwyn, someone was always on top of, inside of, outside of, jumping out of, on, you know, some dangerous thing. That was kind of how I was described. But I was always had way too much energy, and I was always overzealous, enthusiastic about all things. Uh, in fact, both my mom and my brother can show you physical scars on their bodies that unfortunately and unintentionally, uh, contrary to popular belief, Uh, are there because I had some form of involvement in them happening. But as a kid, because I was so full of energy and excitement and enthusiasm, my dad had to put boundaries on me. And I I had a healthy fear and respect of my father. And I mean that. Today, even today, it defines my life to have a healthy respect and fear and admiration of my father. Even as he gets older, it's got nothing to do with that fearful, physical fear. It's got everything to do with, man, the respect for who he is. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 10 through 11 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, we like to talk about God as, you know, Jesus came and he's gentle and he's loving and it's all okay because he's like, no, God is... God is love, but God is also a picture of wrath. I mean, you need to understand that. You can't. The cross of Jesus Christ is where God's love and his justice meet, and they do meet. And that's very true. And Everyone wants to do away with God's justice, but the, the justice of God is so firm and so severe that he would hold the son to a cross to die for our sins. That's justice like never before. That's firm. That's wrath, that's justice, but it's also a picture of love that he would give his son. He loves us so much that he would sacrifice himself for us. So in my earthly father, I found this to be true. Well, let me back up and read the rest of it. So Proverbs 9, 10 through 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me, your days will be many. And your years will be added, or years will be added to your life. And I saw this uh, lived out in my father's life and in my relationship with him. I, 
in my earthly father, I had this picture of my heavenly father. Was it an imperfect picture? Of course it was because we're dealing with humanity. But I had in my father a picture that would point to God. And so as I had this kind of earthly fear and this respect for my father, I also, when I read it in Scripture, I go, man, that makes sense to me. But as imperfect as my father was, my father pointed to God. And, Lori, you're supposed to be up here. You're slipping, honey. <laughs> but Lori's and my um, experiences with our fathers were different. And so Lori wants to share a little bit about her father and what she experienced. So my father left when I was eight years old. And a lot of you know this story, but some don't. And it's a perfect time at Father's Day, too, because not everybody has the picture of the father who was physically there in their lives and, and, a, and a, healthy, a healthy picture. So my father left when I was eight, and not till in my 30s did my father and I establish a relationship again. And um, it happened probably in my mid-30s that God had this in my process of my healing with my father and my relationship with him, um, of forgiving him and loving him and letting him back in. That God showed me one day, I was praying this, I started out my prayers for the longest, this very same line, every single time. Thank you, God, for always being there for me. And one day, as I was saying that, starting my prayer out, I literally had this vision that God took me through, just a blimp of my life and my past, as my childhood and everything. And he said to me, I have been there for you your whole life, better than your earthly father could have ever been there for you. And he showed me places in my life where he, as a heavenly father, let me get into situations off the path that my earthly father would have probably hogtied me into my bedroom and never let me out again if he had found out I did. And where the earthly father would be like, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to go here. And no, you're not going to go out with this person. And God, up there in his wisdom, said, all right, you want to go this path? I'll let you go that path a little while. And then I wised up, and he didn't let me go too far that I got lost or I got hurt beyond repair. So it was really a beautiful thing because he showed me that my heavenly father was literally the best father I could have ever had. So where the earth was, earthly people, people in the earth would say, your father failed you. And yes, my earthly father did fail me. But he showed me, my heavenly father showed me, he says, it doesn't matter because I always had you. I always did and I always will. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that has carried me through more times than not. Thank you. Psalm 68 uh, says this, verse 4 through 5, says, Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. What I love about the difference between Lori's and, and my story is that, you know, our, our earthly experiences with our fathers may be different, but, you know, it, 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 God is so powerful and God is so awesome that even if your earthly experience with your father isn't um, the way it should have been, God's not limited by that. And you're not limited by that. 
Because in the end, my goal as a father, what I've learned from my father who pointed to God is that my goal as a father is not to be like my earthly father, but to be like the one he pointed to. And that's my goal. So my goal is not to emulate my father, and my dad would be, be glad to say that right now. My goal for my kids is not to emulate me, but to emulate the one that I'm pointing to. And Lori's goal, and just in how she lives, is not, it doesn't have anything to, to do with her earthly father and what he did or didn't do. And their relationship ended well, and he found Christ. It's a good thing. But her, where, her passion and her love for God has been through what God, her heavenly father, has done for her and what, he's, what she's seen happen. And so in the end, whether your dad was a great dad or, or not a great dad, our goal today as, as fathers should be to mirror our father in heaven. And my hope this morning is to encourage you men to, sit, uh, to, just, to set your eyes on God and live like him like never before, and in doing so, set an example to your children. And this is true of you, whether you have children, like Steve said so well earlier. This has got nothing to do with you have biological children or not. There is a, a serious lack of fathers in this world today. Not people who actually have kids, not men who actually have kids, but fathers. And you can be a father whether you have biological children or not, just how you love and care. Um, even this morning on, um, on Facebook, we were hearing the story of one guy who was saying, you know what, I just want to recognize this person because he was like a father to me when my father wasn't there. And so the impact you have today is not whether you have a biological kid or not. It's, it, it, it's in the mentality of how you operate and whether you reflect Jesus Christ, and if you begin to reflect Jesus Christ and how you walk and how you live, you will be that father to someone. Someone will look up to you and see Christ in you. Ephesians chapter 5, the first three verses says this, imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The example that Christ laid out for us is what Paul tells us and tells Timothy too, um, that, that we should be imitating. He tells the Ephesians we should be imitating Christ. And so what is it that we should be imitating? Well, If you look at Jesus in in a nutshell of what he did, Jesus leaves the comforts of heaven to help us who are in desperate need of him. He walked away from everything. He came vulnerably. He came and loved greatly. He corrected and he rebuked and he served wholeheartedly. He endured hardship and he gave his life. The greatest thing we can do on Father's Day is to embrace Jesus' lifestyle as our own. It would do us well to pause in our thinking and do an examination of our lives, men, on how we're living this out. We look at Jesus and his life and that sacrificial love and that service and that correction and that rebuking and that humility How are we lining up? Yes, we are imperfect. Yes, we will never be able to live up to the way he did, but are we striving? There should be some area in our life where we can see us coming alongside this picture of Christ that our life should be beginning to reflect his life and his love. So the greatest thing that we can do on Father's Day is to embrace Jesus' life as our own lifestyle. 
It's the greatest honor to our Heavenly Father, and it's the greatest gift you can give your children. It really is. And it's the greatest gift that you can give the world as well. But man, I want to challenge you this morning, and I know my Father's Day message, always people leave feeling like I've beaten up the men. Yes, and that is my goal. No, it's not. But guys, I'm concerned, and I think if you're a man in this place, if you're a man that loves God, then you can share the concern that we have. One of the problems that we have in the society today is that men are being marginalized, and men are being basically sidelined, and men are allowing themselves to, and men aren't taking the role that they need to take in their homes. And, and, and we can't sit back and complain about what's happening in this world if men aren't standing up. And the greatest thing that we can do as men is to be the men that God called us to be. And where that starts first and foremost, guys, it does, it does it's no good to go out and say, let me just tell everyone how they're doing it wrong. No, it starts at home first. That's where it needs to start. How do you as a man live like Christ? Where does it start? Listen, the greatest example, the greatest ministry you'll ever do will be in your home. In fact, if you have a ministry outside your home and your home is a shambles and your ministry outside the home doesn't really mean anything. In fact, your ministry first and foremost is to men, it's to your wife, it's to your children. That's the first thing that we have to get right. If we get that right, then out of that, our ministries can really flow. There will be an example in, in, in our homes and how we live. In fact, Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 through 5, and, and he's talking about church leadership and eldership, but he, this is what he says. He says, a man must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? Now, God's church, they're not talking about a building. They're talking about God's people. And so what he's calling us to is to be a management, the manager of our families. Man, he's talking about, hey, how you, and this in today's world sounds terrible, like, oh, how you manage your wife, right? Or how you manage your kids. Women, don't throw things at me first. Wait till I get through the end of the service. If you don't like what I've said, number one, you got a problem with what God's saying. Number two, I'll hide at the back. Anyway, but listen to what I'm saying here, all right? Men, God has made you the head of your home. He just has. Not in an abusive, authoritarian kind of way. Not as a dictator, but with great responsibility. And that we have this responsibility to lead. And if we will lead as Christ has led his life, then our, what, our, what it looks like at home is amazing. So it starts at home. First with your wives. It starts at home, second with your kids. And if you're a young man here and you're not married, don't go, oh, this doesn't pertain to me. Yes, it does pertain to you because you need to pay attention to what God has for you. This is what Ephesians says about husbands. And yes, we're skipping over what it says about wives. What it does say about wives is wives submit to your husbands. And what I hate about that is all the men go, that's right. right? You can always tell the guys who don't understand this because they look at their wives like, see? And I'm thinking, oh, hold on a second. You don't know. Because what God says to you is actually far more stronger than what he says to your wife. In fact, what God says to the man means if the man is actually living the way God says to live, then his wife will have no problem submitting to him because of the love and the grace and the leadership. And so we're going right to the husbands here. And this is not a rebuke on the husbands. I want to encourage you men to understand this is the role that God has for us, and if we begin to get this right in our homes, that's where it begins to take place. That's how we can affect our country. That's how we can affect our community. Do you know why? Because your children begin learning from you and how it's done. 
Ephesians 5, 25 through 28 says this, husbands, love your wives. And you go, yeah, I love my wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Boom. How did Jesus love the church? By dying for the church. Jesus loved the church by saying, man, I see the need of the church. I see the need of the people, and I love them so much that I'm going to sacrifice myself and my life for his bride. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, right? This is why marriage is so key in the kingdom of God. Is this why marriage has to be taken seriously? Because Jesus uses it as a picture of his relationship with him and his church. And this is why he hates divorce, And so he says, listen, husbands, you need to love your wives as Christ loved the church. So before you get onto that whole submit thing, why don't you check yourself first and make sure, are you actually sacrificing yourself and your comfort? Remember, Jesus left what was comfortable. He left his throne, and he came vulnerable. He came in humility to this world, and he served. That's how he loved, and he served, and he took the position of a servant, and he washed people's feet, and then he went to a cross while we were still sinners against him, and he died for us. Think about that. And Christ, what God is saying to us in this is, guys, that's the love you should have for your wives. Not, not a love that they, that, that they deserve necessarily, but even when they don't necessarily deserve it. Because that's how Christ loved the church. He came, he saw us in our need. We'll go on, though. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is the tallest order that we have as men. This is more challenging to us. This is convicting to me. You know, I get to do a lot of premarital counseling, and, you know, I wish I could sit there and go, yes, you guys. This is why it's good to have Lori there with me. Dave, Sharon, you can probably attest to this. But this is why it's good to have, because if Lori wasn't with me, I could sit there and say, yes, in marriage, this is how it looks, and I just want you guys to know I have this all down just right. But half the time when I'm saying this, Renee Smith, you probably know, half the time when I'm saying this, I'm going, oh, I'm failing here, and I feel like the biggest hypocrite because now I'm telling these people how their marriage should look, and I'm dropping the ball. I, I've gone through more premarital counseling for myself and the counseling I've given to other people that I should have this all down by now, and I don't because it's not easy. You need the power of God. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you. We're going to mess this. We're going to fumble the ball. We just can't be okay with it. And so this is the tallest challenge that we have, and it starts at home. And we can talk about building a church. We can talk about reaching people for Christ, but it's got to start in the home. Because when people come into this place, they should be able to say, you know, there's something different about you people and how you live. And what's different about you people is not just the things that you say. It's actually how you live your lives. And what's different about you is the love that we see in your homes appeals to me. Maybe I don't understand it. Maybe I don't necessarily agree with it, but it appeals to me. There's something drawing me to you. Man, that relationship you have, man, you know, and and, in today's world, you'd you'd hear this, man, man, stand up. Why is he the head of the home? Like, you're late, you have a voice or whatever, but if you talk to the the lady or the wife in that relationship, and you hear, no, I love my husband. It's my joy. 
to honor him. It's my joy to respect him. It's my joy because of the way he lays his life down for me. And so we can be the shining example. Our kids get to come home to two parents and to watch mom and dad interact. And one of the things I love saying at Baby Dedications is this. Your love, this is the way God set this up, is if this love is lived out right, not perfectly, but if, if, if you as a married couple are striving to live this out right, what you're demonstrating for your children is a picture of God's relationship with his church. You guys get that? So if I see, if I see dad, you know, and he's firm and, and he's got boundaries and, 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 and all of this, and I'm, I'm nervous of him, but I love him. I know he loves me, but I'm not going to push, you know, the limits too much. And, and I see this, how he, how he loves my mom and my mom respects him and, and they get on together. I, I, what I'm beginning to see as a kid is this picture of Christ in the church. And, you, and what you begin to, to, to basically uh, live an example of for your children is what marriage is like and what God's relationship with the church is like. And what that does for your children is this, is, man, if they get to see that. I mean, all of us want, all of us want our kids to marry someone good, right? I mean, it's just a dumb thing to say. Of course we do. But if we're not living that example at home, how do they know what good is? You know what? They're going to go to Google. They're going to go to, to some drama or some TV show. Listen, there's a world of things out there waiting to give your, your, your kids advice on how to live if there's an absence of advice coming from home. And the greatest thing you can do as a father and as parents is live out imperfectly as it may be, how God wants you to live out your marriage. And so my hope is this, is that I can live in such a way, imperfect by owning my mistakes, and there are mistakes I have to own. And there are times I have to go to my children and say, you know what, Dad blew it, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And there are times I need to go to my wife, and if I've done something publicly in front of my kids in front of my, and, and hurt my wife, then I need to publicly apologize in front of my kids to my wife. Because they need to see how men of integrity and character live, that we can own our mistakes. And see, in doing so, we are training them. This is what the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. If you live this way in front of your kids, then they will see in their dads. If they're a little girl, they'll see in their dads, man, that's the picture of the husband that I want to have in my life. That's what I want. And if they're little boys, they'll go, man, that's the kind of wife I want. I want a wife that's like my mom. That sounds terrible. Not a mother. But that kind of love, that kind of respect, that's what I want. And guys, it starts at home. We want the best for our children. We're going to start living this way at home. And so men, it's a tall order. But when you have those, those arguments and you have those discussions, how you, those discussions, how you handle it is critical. Guys, the silent treatment doesn't exist. Sorry. That's just poor management of your family. Can you imagine if God gave you the silent treatment? I'm not talking to you. No, we're all set. No. Let me just, let me just, this isn't much of a sermon. This is like marriage counseling, I think, this morning. But, but it's important, guys, because you've got to understand this. Men, you are the head of your home. The scripture says that it's time you are the head of your home. But you've got to lead the right way. That means that you are the example. That means that if there is a problem, you're the first person to say you're sorry. You lead in that. 
You don't wait for your wife to make it right first. No, you lead. That's what God holds you to. You understand that? That means if you're in a knockdown, drag out argument, and you're upset with your wife, and she owes you an apology, but you can find areas where you've responded poorly, you'd be the first one to go and say you're sorry. And I can promise you, even though you may not feel like it, you know what's going to happen? The minute you say you're sorry for what you can own, it changes the course of that argument and that direction because all of a sudden, your wife will suddenly be like, you know what, I'm sorry for what I've done here. And it changes things. But guys, we have to lead this way. And the onus and the responsibility is on you because we will stand before God with this. You've got to remember, too, that your wife is God's little girl. Max, a great young man, but when he married Courtney, I had a conversation with him. I said, he, she may be your wife, but she will always be my little girl. If you hurt her, you can finish the rest of that statement. Is there a father in here that would disagree with me? Probably not. Because that's how we feel as fathers. Do not hurt my little girl. Yes, you can argue, and you can have all these problems. Yeah, that's normal, but how you handle it is key. And if you hurt her, I will be at your door. I tell you, man, your wife is God's little girl. And just as you are saying, hey, if you hurt her, you'll come face to me. A lot of us will come face to face with God. And you've got to understand that you are treating his little girl a certain way. And you've got to make sure that you're confident to say, yes, Lord, I handle that well. Because he does care. That might be something we need to remember just to sober us up a little bit. Guys, when you begin to, 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 to lead in love for your wives and lead in grace for your wives and lead in treasuring, and when you begin to lay down your life for your wife, when you live like this and when you love like this, your wife honoring and respecting you will come naturally. It just will. It won't be a chore. It won't be. It won't be an issue for her. But it starts with the man. The man has to start living this way. It doesn't just happen by itself. Husbands and wives, men, you know, we we talk about being the the head of the home, but moving in unity is critical. uh, Lori and I have done some pretty big moves in our lives to some pretty extreme locations. Um, Some have been very incredibly challenging to Lori. You know, a lot of you guys know we were living in the jungle for seven months in tents. Uh, Lori dropped out of Girl Scouts because she didn't like camping. You know, just, just do the math there, all right? And so one of the interesting things is, is for us, just an example, I've never, although I'm the head of my home, I've never had to drag Lori anywhere. And I've never had to say to Lori, Lori, I'm the head of this home to get her to do something. Because we believe that God, that the Holy Spirit's big enough to speak to both couples. God's got plans for you guys. But being the head of the home doesn't mean like you have to rule with an iron fist. It means that you, you care for your wife. You care about where they are. You care about their emotions. And, and, and I'm just here to say that God is, is strong enough and big enough to, to 
speak to your wife so you can move in unity. That's Michael saying my time is up. He's like, 1.15, Dad. Um, I know, Michael. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I don't need a watch. He just, he's like, Dad, like, wrap it up. You know what, Michael? Everyone appreciates you right now. They're like, it's hot. We're laughing, but we agree with him. Wrap this up. Speaking about boundaries, he knows what to do in public. I got a story on him. I was like, he was in Royal Rangers, and he was acting up. I was like, Michael, and I gave him the eyes. He's like, ah, he just kept on going. So I dragged him to the bathroom. I'm like, Michael. He's like, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Dad. It won't happen again. And I was like, okay. We walked back out there in front of everybody. He's like, Dad, leave me alone. I was like, anyway. All right, moving on. I'm trying. Moving in unity, guys, God is big enough to communicate to both your wife, and if you, will, if you will honor your wife and you will respect her and you will talk to her. Listen, God took my wife to, to a jungle environment where she was not comfortable. I mean, mud, rain, tents. She didn't even like camping. But God took it because God talked to her about it. Yes, God talked to me first about it, but God talked to her, and it was so critically important that that happened because when we got there, if God hadn't talked to her, you know what she could have done? So when you brought us out here. And I needed that for my own sake to say, no, Gordy, we prayed about this. And she, parents, move in unity together. God is big enough. If there's a disagreement, agree to pray together about it. And lastly, I want to say that it moves on to your kids. God has entrusted your kids to your care. What's disturbing to me is this growing trend of putting our kids into every single kind of camp that we can find of to take care of them. I understand how hard it is to to live here and, and all the jobs that we have to have to maintain. But let me just say, you need to do your best to make sure that you are raising your kids. God has given the responsibility of raising your kids to you. It doesn't mean they can't be in camps from time to time, but they don't need to live in camps all the time. God has given the responsibility of raising your children to you. You do not want TV raising your kids. You do not want Google giving advice to your kids. And you don't want the world's morals guiding your kids. That's your job and that's my job. I find that statistic that Steve read about seven and a half minutes of a father spending time with his kids and 36 hours watching TV. I find that horrific. Horrific. It's time to put the phones down. I'm realizing more and more I'm addicted to my phone. It's not good. I'm always on my phone. Always checking this and checking that and making sure. And sometimes I find myself doing it when I've just checked it. But it's just a habit. Guys, I know it's something I even told Gloria. I've got to be careful. I'm, I've got to put this thing down because it can start taking away. When you're all sitting at t- dinner together and you're all on your phones, you go out together to eat, to have family time, and you're all on your phones, we've got to be careful All of this is distracting and pulling away from the family unit that God has put together. And if we get this family unit right, we will change the communities we live in. But it's got to start at home, and it's got to be found on the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And it's found on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ when we try and emulate him in all his ways and how he lived and how he loved. And so that means that we have to love our kids. We have to spend time with our kids. Parents, you need to be in agreement on how you handle your kids and then back each other up. None of this good cop, bad cop, like, oh, mom's this way, but don't worry, dad's got you, or vice versa. You will decay 
the relationship and the understanding. You need to move in unity, move firmly, move in love. Can I tell you, fathers, you are a father first, friend second. All right? You need to understand that you are a father first and friend second. Sometimes we get this backwards and we, we jeopardize being a father to try and make ourselves a friend. And so we, we jeopardize the boundaries and we get lax on certain things and we have our kids. Listen, you can be a friend and a father to your kid. Just don't get it backwards. Father comes first. You need to discipline and correct your kids. Again, guys, there's a big difference between uh, abuse and discipline. Discipline is never done in anger. If you're angry with your kids and you're getting ready to discipline them, or whatever that looks like, then you need to wait. And you need to go pray and calm down and then come back and discipline your kids. Discipline never leaves emotional scars or any kind of scars. Kids need boundaries. You know, I remember some of you guys have been to Haiti and, and you know, you're, you're driving over that massive mountain to get to Marbiel and it's probably the most terrifying part of the trip, right? Would you guys agree, oh, Haiti team members? And you're driving over that mountain and the reason why it's so terrifying is because there are some really steep drop-offs, right? They drop like, it seems like a thousand feet down and there's this little guardrail next to the road that keeps you from that big cliff. All right? Let me tell you, I've never once complained about that guardrail being there. I'm very grateful for that boundary. I really am. I wish the boundary was a little bit higher because I'm not convinced it would stop that truck from going over. And we've been in some sticky situations where that truck is cut out on those dangerous turns and starts rolling back towards that guardrail where there's this drop-off and we're in the back of the truck. All right? Let me tell you something. I am always grateful for those boundaries. Your kids need boundaries. Boundaries are there not to hurt them, but to help them. This is why Scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and through him he has added days and years to your life. The fear of my dad added days and years to my life because he kept me safe, because there were boundaries. There are boundaries that need to be given to our kids, and sometimes your kids will be mad at you, and sometimes if you have not heard from your kids, I don't think you even love me, then you're probably not doing a good job. Because sometimes your kids will say some things to you that hurt, but you know what? You need to be a parent first and keep those boundaries up. Yes, I was convinced from time to time that my parents didn't love me because of the boundaries, and now when I look back, as we all do, you look back and go, I thank God for those boundaries because it was good parenting. That's what it was. Remember, the picture of Jesus as a shepherd, he has that shepherding stick. That shepherding stick was a stick that used to bring sheep back in. You see that picture of Jesus carrying the lamb? And you go, oh, that's a sweet picture. Not so sweet if you really knew what took place. He's carrying the lamb because he broke its legs because it wandered off. That's the picture of what's going on. And he carries that, that sheep on his, on his neck because he's talking to that sheep the whole time. And during that healing process, that sheep has begun to learn the shepherd's voice. And so what happens is when that sheep heals, it doesn't wander away, away because it knows its shepherd's voice. And so that picture that looks oh so sweet, he carries it. It's actually not as sweet as it looks, but it's very key. Now, no, I'm not saying break your kid's legs, guys. All right? Just to be clear, no. Not at all. But what I'm saying is this, is God is one with boundaries. And we need to know the voice of our Father. I'll wrap it up now. 
Jesus has called us to take this message of love and life to the entire world, to sacrificially love, to sacrificially serve, and to sacrificially leave. But guys, it's got to start at home first. Can you imagine what this looks like if we get this right? I mean, we can invite a thousand people to this church, and they can even start coming to this church, but if we don't have this right at home and there's nothing for them, what, what happens at home is critical. That's where, where and don't take this the wrong way, but that's where you get to be almost like God. That's where you get to be, man, I get to lay my life down first and foremost to my family. There's no greater testimony when your wife or your kids be able to say, listen, I know my dad's not perfect, but man, I know he loves and I know he strives after God. If we get this right at home, man, Guys, things can change. You know, we want to look at violence all over the world, and we want to look at this issue and that issue and that problem, and we want to blame, we want to blame, you know, this thing or that thing. And the truth is, it's none of that. It's a heart issue. Because if the heart was right, it doesn't matter if I had a thousand different weapons here or whatever. If my heart's right, I'm not going to pick up one of them. That's the truth. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And where is the heart fixed? The heart has to be fixed at home. Man, when, when we took prayer out of schools in, was it, 1968? Man, we sowed seeds years ago that we're now eating the fruit of today. You can't take God out of society and wonder why society is godless. What you plant, you will reap. we got to plant something different today. Man, there's never been more true in our lives. You're going to look around and see the decay and see the hurt and see the suicide and see the addiction and see the bondage and see all of that. It's not coincidence that it's happening now. We can't fight this by just fixing and, and responding to the byproduct of it. We have to fight it by going to the root and say, no, let's plant differently today so that tomorrow our kids will have a chance, that our families will have a chance. If we fight differently today, and that's the challenge to you, is yes, let's respond to these needs, open up our hearts, let's minister, but let's start planting different seeds now so that our kids aren't dealing with this tomorrow. If the Lord tarries, that this Father's Day, I am, I'm so grateful for the men in this church. Lord and I have talked about a lot. We have so many men serving this church like never before. I am grateful. The truth is you guys deserve a pat on the back and and you guys are awesome. And we're proud of you. And we honor you. It's your day. You should be proud. But guys, we've got to keep pushing forward. And men, it doesn't matter what your yesterday looked like. Maybe in this sermon you go, oh man, I've been messing this up. Well, join the club. Today can be different and tomorrow can be different. And let's start getting it right today. And let's start doing it not through our own power and authority because we cannot. Guys, there are times, listen, you know, we may be pastors, but we mess this up all the time. Somebody came to us, well, I won't name someone because I think I knew who it was, but said, man, it must be so nice at your house, pastors, you must get together in the morning and, and the, the, you know, the robins are singing and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining and it's just like because your pastors and God's presence is just always there. Listen, some of our worst arguments on the way to church so I can preach. Guys, you can't do this by yourself. You can't do this. I can't do marriage. You can't be a father. I need the power of God in my life and I'm going to mess it up and when I do, it's not okay. 
but his grace is there. And I own it. And I go back and ask him to forgive me and ask him to do a better job, help me do a better job next time. And that means if I need to say I'm sorry, guys, I, I don't respect a man who can't apologize. Get over yourself and apologize. Your wife needs it. Your kids need it. But man, guys, if we live this way, tomorrow can be different. This isn't a motivational sermon. This is what God's told us to do. Man, I hope you enjoy your day. You deserve it. It doesn't matter what yesterday looked like, but let's make sure today, no matter how good yesterday was or bad yesterday was, let's make sure today looks better. Let's make sure next week looks better. There are areas in all of our lives that we need to bring more in line with the life of Christ. And if we do that at home, I promise you, it will flow out of your home and into the communities, and it will make a difference. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? Oh, Jesus, we just come before you, and and Lord, we thank you for our fathers. God, we thank you for their, their great influence, Lord God. God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the fathers that are in this place, Lord God, who love you, who run after you, Lord God. God, there are many of us who have had broken fathers in our lives, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for them too. Because, God, we can learn on what to do. We can also learn what not to do, Lord God. But over everything, God, we thank you for the father that you are, Lord Jesus. Because one thing is true. No matter what our earthly experience of our fathers were, Lord God, we have an experience, an example, and a heavenly father, Lord God, that needs no correction that never makes mistakes, Lord God. So, God, we just thank you for that. And this morning, I pray, Lord God, would you move on each man's heart in here this morning, God. God, would you give them a resolve like never before to run after you, to chase after you, God, to mirror their life after you. God, for those who have been messing up and they feel maybe defeated this morning, I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive them and you would set them free. God, that you would encourage them that today can be different and tomorrow can be different and what we do now matters. So Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your help. We need your strength to be the men you've called us to be first and foremost to our wives and secondly to our children and thirdly to our church and our communities, God. And would you empower us to reflect you as husbands and fathers, as church members and leaders, Lord God. In doing so, God, would we honor you and we build your kingdom. Bless these families, I pray. Give them a wonderful day. In Jesus' name.